Welcome to the BodyWise podcast, focusing on the new Maudsley Carer skills with me, Harriet Parsons, psychotherapist and training and development manager with BodyWise, and Jenny Langley, author of Caring for a Loved One with an Eating Disorder, the new Maudsley skills-based training manual. Each episode in this podcast series will focus on one particular aspect of the new Maudsley Carer skills. We will explain the concept, talk through the ideas behind the skill, and learn how that particular skill can benefit carers. Welcome to episode 19. In this episode, we are thinking about core family values, module 9 in the manual. We often start to think about this when the person is in treatment and things have moved on from the initial difficult and terrifying days. My experience is that in the early days, much of the household becomes molded around the eating disorder, either that family finds themselves doing things they would never think to do, as we talked about in our episode on the accommodation and enabling scale, and there comes a time when there is enough breathing space to start thinking about how family life has been influenced by the eating disorder and how to reclaim your household from the eating disorder. Jenny, it's lovely to see you. Welcome. Hi, Harriet. It's really good to be here. Jenny, could you tell us why you have included this in the Maudsley Manual? So so this is such an important um, step for families to take. So it's not just that ability for the family to kind of stand up to the eating disorder. So when they when the person's really ill, of course, as you mentioned, um, families will will make so many reasonable adjustments, reasonable for the time. Um, and then there comes a time when their loved one is maybe physically less fragile, a bit more better, but probably emotionally still quite unstable, where the family might want to start about trying to get some of their normal um, family life back and and just to reflect on their you know what they would like their core family values to be um, so it's really really important so a it it helps them to break a habit because it becomes very much a habit that you do accommodate to the eating sort of behaviors as you well know Harriet um, so it's to break a habit but also um, to role model to the person with the eating disorder that that life goes on and life is so much more important than just tiptoeing around the eating disorder to keep the peace. I love that. Yes, life is so much more important than tiptoeing around the eating disorder. Absolutely. Negotiating house rules and boundaries is made more difficult by the eating disorder. So the eating disorder doesn't want life to return to normal. So um, could you talk us through this first exercise? Okay, so there's there's four different exercises within this model, but just in terms of the kind of the background, um, again, to kind of where where are we coming from? So in any household where there are teenagers, there's there's always the tension, isn't there? There's a generation gap between the parents and the emerging young adults, the teenagers. Um, and so it can be difficult for families to kind of keep everything on an even keel. Then we add in the eating disorder. So let's think about the perspective of the person with the eating disorder first of all, and then the other family members. So imagine if you're the person with the um, eating disorder, you're going to be super sensitive or hypersensitive to any potential or perceived conflict or criticism. So even, you know, the curtains being drawn in the wrong way can really, really set you off, okay? the person with the eating disorder feels that they deserve special attention. That's one of the benefits that they get from their eating disorder. So they, they 
don't kind of want to let that go. Um, the person with the eating disorder may, again, because of habit, may struggle to recognize that some of their behaviors are coming from the eating disorder and they're not a fundamental part of them. Um, and, and of course, they're coping strategies, aren't they? many of these coping strategies keep the eating disorder voice quiet. So you can see that from the perspective of the person with the eating disorder, this is a big ask to start to let some of these things go. And then from the perspective of the carers and the other family members, other close family members, there's all of the emotions that come with looking after someone with an eating disorder. So there's fear that if they start to stand up to the eating disorder, is it just going to fight back even more strongly? So fear of fear of making things worse is a big one that we see all the time. Guilt, that lingering guilt. Where did this come from? Was it something that we did that's caused this eating disorder, which, of course, we know is almost always not the case. Yeah. Um, Self-esteem. So carers get battered, don't they, by the eating disorder and just thinking, am I able to stand up to this illness? Um, shame that comes with having somebody in your family with an eating disorder and then that pure exhaustion that this just seems to be going on and on and on and we don't have the energy so you can see where families can get really really stuck mm -hmm. so the whole point of this module is to help families to become unstuck from this backdrop so it's a big ask it's a huge ask isn't it so Jenny um you ask families to reflect on what they would like, you know, their core family values to be. Could you describe for us um, how that happens in the workshops? Yeah. So, um, you know, I love a spider diagram. Yeah. So, if, you know, I've, so if, if we were in a room face to face and we had a flip chart, I would just do a lovely big spider diagram. And you know that we can do that the equivalent on zoom as well but i first of all i'd say to the family well just write down so maybe on a zoom workshop i just say to the the carers maybe just write down five core family values that that you know regardless of eating sort of that you would really really like to have as a core part of your family ethos mm -hmm. and so it might be respect kindness freedom people taking responsibility um no judgment uh, humor <laughs> um tolerance that people aren't perfect um balanced healthy lifestyle it might be any, anything like that so anyway they come up with their list or their spider diagram and then I say okay now look at each of these core family values and and reflect on what has the eating disorder done to these core family values so families will often say well the eating disorder has no respect for anybody else in the family um or you know, the family, the judgment, the family feels judged, the person with the eating sort of feels judged. Um, very different, difficult to have a balanced, healthy lifestyle. And by that, I just don't, I don't just mean eating, I mean the social side as well. So the person with the eating sort of become very withdrawn and the family becomes very withdrawn. Um, Humour can get really warped by the eating sort of, so all of these things. So it's just a useful kind of reflection um, exercise for families to do. And in the same way that when they do the accommodating and enabling scale exercise, they often say, we just hadn't, We've got so used to accommodating and, and dancing around the eating disorder that we haven't realized what the impact had been. And of course, if they haven't realized what the impact has been, they've got no direction to go in, have they? So this helps them to visualize that pathway or that direction that in an ideal world, they would get the family back to. It's very frightening sometimes for them to think how their family life has changed since the eating disorder came into it. 
things that um, I've heard families say is, oh, yeah, we used to always get together on a Sunday evening and have a big family dinner or we'd always have, uh, you know, a board game on a Saturday evening where we'd all sit around and we'd have treats and we'd all play together. Um, or, I, you know, we used to do this cooking together. We'd always bake yeah. something every week. Um, or even just being able to enjoy spaces with other people in the family. All of those things um, can be so controlled by the eating disorder. Um, and it's often that they become so difficult and the person with the eating disorder gets so upset by them that slowly but surely um, they give them up. So, it's, yeah. so this is the part about recognizing how your family has changed, how your family life has changed, how that reflects on those core values um, and starts you really, as you say, thinking about how you can start to reclaim them. Yeah. Yeah. And we need to be careful with our words here. So we used to always refer to house rules. And of course, the eating sort of loves rules, doesn't it? <laughs> so, yeah. so I like I prefer to think of it as a scaffold that you've got the scaffold for the household and then the bricks within the scaffold, you know, will be different for every family. They might be different shaped bricks or size bricks or whatever they are. Um, But the most important thing that if there are boundaries, they need to be um, the same boundaries for every family member. You can't have one boundary for the person with eating disorder that doesn't apply to anybody else in the rest of the family, because otherwise, of course, the person with eating disorder is going to feel judged and criticized and persecuted. So, so that's really, really important. A really, really good example, um, just in families without eating disorders, is that concept of no phones at the meal table, and then the parents bring their phones to the meal table. Mm-hmm. So um, just making sure that it's fair and also flexible. So you can have a scaffold, and sometimes the family will be right within the scaffold, and sometimes, and for obvious reasons sometimes, the family will move outside the scaffold And then it's thinking about, so what will be the consequences if any family members have moved outside the scaffold to help them to get back back within that scaffold, if that makes sense? Yeah. And that can be difficult um, for families to begin to think about because they often think about punishments. And we're talking about not punishments, but there are consequences to certain behaviours. So then when we look at house rules or our scaffolding, and boundaries that are non-negotiable and negotiable. How how do you work with families to try and start putting these in place? Okay, so so now we're coming from the other um, end of the spectrum. So we've helped the family think think about the ideal core family values they would like mm-hmm. to get back or have in the future. And now we're saying so thinking about behaviours that are happening in your household at the moment that have come from the eating disorder. Which ones of those? would you um, prefer not to happen? Yeah. Mm -hmm. So, and again, we used to call them unacceptable, but I'll come back to that in a minute, because if somebody said to me, that is unacceptable behavior, I wouldn't respond too well. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So, so words matter, don't they? But, but a typical list would be violence, which often happens with eating disorders. So it might be violence to other people, or it might be violence to property. So breaking things, it might be aggressive displays, towards other people either within the house or in public it might be swearing mm-hmm. um it might be lack of respect for other people's property it might be food wastage it might be leaving a mess around the house you know all those sorts of things so again each family would have a slightly different list of um behaviors that they would prefer 
that wouldn't be happening in the future. Okay, so so thinking about so so each family would make their list, and then rather than thinking about a behaviour is unacceptable, um, often I ask the carers, so what what words could you use with your loved one when you're identifying or reflecting on one of these behaviours or situations that just happened? And carers will come up with lots of alternatives. So that was unhelpful, mm-hmm. or that's not how you would usually behave, or it's not really okay, but with a very calm way of saying it um that's an uncomfortable behavior distressing Mm -hmm. um obviously pointing out if it's dangerous so we we want to keep the family safe but again with no judgment um or maybe something was upsetting or hurtful Mm -hmm. so so you can there's lots and lots of different words that families can use without without being very black and white saying that's not acceptable in this household Mm -hmm. so words really matter they really matter. Yeah. One example I was thinking of is um, I remember with one family that they had always had the family rule that nobody ate in their bedrooms and um, their person with the eating disorder would get a takeaway on a Friday night or something and then go and eat it in their bedroom. And a part of this was that they would eat it so that was a good thing but the other part of it was that it might lead to a bit of a a purging behavior um and it would be upsetting for the person so so setting that boundary in place of that you know that rule of we don't eat in our bedrooms is actually for everybody and we really want you to follow it as well um was something that they wanted to work on Yeah, yeah absolutely um, and it's being it's being able to have those conversations, isn't it? That's so yeah. important. Yeah. Um, not being scared of it. I remember exactly. when I was talking to the mum, you know, she was really afraid of having the conversation because she was afraid of what would happen if she started to put that kind of boundary in place. Um, and so it was about practicing with her how to approach it, the language to use, how to negotiate the consequences if, you know, if. The rule was broken, so to speak, and um, how to manage that with the other kids in the house as well. So it it, it is really important to know, to feel confident about how yeah. to 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 talk about things. And I suppose that's where all the other Maudsley skills come in, don't they? Absolutely. Yeah. Any any of the motivational language is really, really useful. Um, now, we particularly like the crap sandwich here. Mm-hmm. So shall I give you an example of the crap sandwich? Yeah. Yes, yeah. So imagine that my son Sam has um, got really overcome with fear when faced with a plate of tuna pasta and he's hurled it across the room, mm-hmm. okay? And it's landed on the cream carpet. Of course, I'm disappointed about my cream carpet and I've disappointed about the, the food, but I'm going to take a big, deep breath. And then Sam is obviously feeling guilty and ashamed and upset as well because he'd lost control. So the crap sandwich is obviously to start with, we love you unconditionally. So I'd always say his name, Sam. We love you unconditionally. Then we can put the boundary. Um, What just happened, Sam, isn't your usual behavior. And you know that, darling. Or it might be, we called it Rex, remember? His eating disorder was Rex. What Rex just made you do isn't okay. And you know that, darling. Or Sam, you know that what just happened is unhelpful. And it won't help you to get where you want to be. 
we also know that the eating disorder voice can make you lose control. So said with empathy and compassion. Mm -hmm. And then the other part, sandwich. Sam, we are your allies in this battle. We love you. We believe you can do this. And we'll keep supporting you until you can get back control in the face of that eating disorder bully. Mm -hmm. So the crap sandwich is really, really useful, even while you're still clearing up. Yeah. Yeah. You know, just to reconnect with Sam, who's feeling terrible that, that he lost control like this. But also it stops you from losing control as well, because most likely you're going to have been, it's the evening time, you know, it's dinner time. Everyone is tired. Everyone is rushing. Everyone is a bit frazzled. Um, so you're, that's kind of, you're very likely to uh, lose your temper then. So yeah. that I just remembering the crap sandwich, having it in your back pocket is a way of avoiding you losing control as well. Exactly. Yeah. So, so, and carers really like this because it gives them, you know, they can start to develop that neural pathway, which is, I don't have to rise to the eating disorder. Whereas to start with, as we know, you do get caught up with the eating disorder. So when the eating disorder is raging, your human instinct is to rage back. So it's a really useful tool that carers can kind of keep in their mind. Say, right, part of me wants to rage back and another part of me could use this little skill. So there's a section entitled Talking is a Good Consequence. Um, could you explain what you mean by this, Jenny? So very often um, families fall into the trap of um, res responding very quickly and very instinctively when, when something's gone wrong. And that can really come across as punishment, can't it? So we've talked in some of the other podcasts about the difference between punishment and motivation. So, you know, if, if in the example of Sam throwing the food across the room, um, punishment might be, well, you can't go to football today or um, you've almost like got to sit on the naughty step or something like that. That's not that's not going to be motivational for him. He's he's just going to think it's even a worse day than it was when he just threw the tuna pasta across the room. So talking is, is a really, really good way to both reconnect and also start to visualise a pathway out of this difficult situation that you're in. Um, so let's think about a different example. So um, families might have different ideas of appropriate consequences. So um, if there's been a, an aggressive display in public, for example, family A might just have a black and white rule is that if there's an aggressive display in public, um, we will immediately stop what we're doing and return home. And it's, it's non-negotiable. That's, that's just exactly what's going to happen. And that we can see could easily become, come across as punishment and judgment. Whereas family B might, might have a conversation when they're talking about this boundary for the family. Um, so aggressive displays in public are sometimes unavoidable because of the rage of the eating sort of voice. So just accepting, sometimes they're unavoidable. So we'll have a plan. In such a situation, we'll move somewhere quieter and use our calming techniques to de-escalate that huge wave of emotion. Then we will talk and, and decide on the appropriate next cause of action, cause of action, yeah? So that, that's where talking is a good, a good way to reconnect, to help calm things down, but also to help the, the carer and the person with eating disorder to visualize moving forward out of this difficult situation. So that's why I say talking is a good consequence. And, and as, as we mentioned just now, any of the motivational language, whether it's part of ors or alves or dears, is gonna be really, really useful in, in helping to reflect on that difficult situation. So one of the ones I often do in the workshop is when 
you know, um, often the eating disorder voice um, will compel the person with the eating disorder to say really, really hurtful things, often to mum. I hate you, you're useless, it's, my, it's your fault that I'm in this situation. Um, and, and the mum can start to feel like this emotional pincushion, can't she? So it's not always the mum, but often it is the mum. And so in the workshops, we would practice all of the different language so that, that mum, rather than turning a blind eye, which it would be easy to do, wouldn't it? Just feel really bad, but just turn a blind eye because it's too difficult to talk about. Or let's imagine how you could use the motivational language to reconnect with the person who's saying these awful things because of their eating disorder um, and help them to kind of look forward to better times ahead when when the eating disorder voice isn't raging quite so loudly. And it's also, you know, with ALBS, with the noticing the emotions, it's a really, really good way for mum to be reflecting on what her own emotional response is to these hurtful things, but also to use ALBS with the person with the eating disorder to help them to reflect on their emotional journey in the moment when they're raging at their mum but also afterwards when they feel so ashamed and guilty and just depleted by that whole episode so all of that motivational language is really 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 useful it's a really I mean what you what you're talking about is collaborating and it's really good examples of how collaboration in these situations um calms things down person can feel like you're with them you're beside them you're not telling them what to do you're working it out together so it's a really yeah. good counterpoint to that eating disorder that is screaming in their head. Yeah. So in the training manual, we refer to um, one of the Succeed DVD vignettes. Um, so there's one of the vignettes is about Granny's birthday, isn't it? And remember that Chloe loses control. So it's like a, a buffet situation. It's all got a bit overwhelming. Chloe's struggling with um, bulimia. So she's binge eating and then purging. Um, she's gone into her boyfriend's bedroom and eaten the chocolates that were supposed to be for his girlfriend you know all of these different things sorry his brothers her brothers and um and 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 the whole house is just on edge and poor granny doesn't know what's going on <laughs> like just just watching this in kind of in kind of like this is supposed to be my happy birthday anyway the next part of that scenario is dad then goes for a walk with chloe and it's beautiful they sit side by side in a park and the dad helps Chloe to kind of reflect on what happened, to think about what she was feeling, to start to think about different strategies that maybe she could use next time, whether it's talking to mum or talking to dad or, you know, doing a different activity with her brother rather than eating the chocolates. Um, and it's a, it's a really, really good example of that talking being such a great consequence. It is. And, you know, it strikes me that um, having the skills knowing the acronyms, having an idea of when Lovely. to use them, that that can really um, help parents to, to take a step back and be able to um, be calmer in the situation. It kind of creates a place of being able to observe what's going on in themselves and in the person with the eating disorder rather than be caught up in the moment. Um, I was saying yeah. that one of the groups last week, you know, that all of these skills are about giving you a means to separate yourself from the immediacy of the situation so that you're actually calmer dealing with it. Um, and so that you uh, role model for the person with the eating disorder as well, a curiosity about, you know, well, why am I doing what I'm doing? And, you know, can I work with my family to try and, and move along or get out of this, this situation? 
So Jenny, in the manual, you recognize that these scaffoldings and boundaries differ depending on whether the person with the eating disorder is a child or an adolescent or a young adult or an adult. Um, what experiences do you have from workshops about this? It's, it's really interesting, Harriet, because um, as you know, my, my groups are mixed. So we have carers of adults, carers of older teenagers, carers of young children, all in the same room. And um, so, you know, the, the, it's kind of obvious to the families of the children and the younger teenagers that, that this is something that they, can, that they can bring back. They can start to kind of unravel some of the chaos that the eating disorders brought into the family. It's harder when the young person has, has become an adult or even when they've gone through 16. So going through 16 is one barrier, then going through 18 is another barrier. Then they're more independent, they're more away from home. So in the training manual, we, did, we have an example of an, a young adult male in his 30s who um, has taken to going, to going running in the middle of the night as part of his, one of his eating disorder strategies. And his mum and his girlfriend are really worried about him. And so we illustrate you know, how that they can use oars to kind of have this difficult conversation with, with um, Ashley, the male, um, to help him to be able to acknowledge their distress, acknowledge that, you know, he could faint in the middle of the street and nobody would be there for him, um, and uh, acknowledge that maybe he, he could start looking at reducing his running and trying to experiment with, with some other more healthy coping strategies. So again, it's, like, it's almost like the elephant in the room. So it would be easier for mum and the girlfriend not to challenge the running in the middle of the night. And there could be all sorts of reasons why he runs in the middle of the night. So he can't sleep, so he finds it soothing, he doesn't want other people to see him, you know, so, so you could do a decisional balance with him about his running in the middle of the night, that's one of our techniques. Um, but then just make sure that there's safety. So often with the adults, it's the safety. So trying to care for someone from a distance can be really hard. And then the other type of um, conversation that I often end up having with carers is around um, the social interactions. So when the young adult is coming back to family events. So, or it might be the family are going on holiday to a cottage in France or something like that. Um, and contingency planning for that can be really, really useful because otherwise what happens is that the family are expecting the eating disorder to come into that family situation on holiday in France and cause havoc. Now, if, they, if the carers decide that it's too difficult to bring this up, then they just have to accept that the eating disorder is gonna have, be controlling some of the issues of the holiday in France. Whereas if they're able to have those conversations before they go, they can, they can establish some reasonable boundaries. And of course, that, you know, if the eating sort of voice becomes so powerful that that, that boundary gets um, pushed aside momentarily, then they can sit down calmly and just kind of work it out together with compassion and empathy. So it's really useful. Yeah, you're reminding me of... Um a training session that I went to with a couple of clinicians from the Maudsley who were talking about this very period that, you know, they, they're ending treat, formal treatment as such, but, you know, they're not better. And um, life, you know, has to get a little bit uncomfortable for them to be able to keep motivating them to be letting go of their eating disorder. And they described it um, in that quadrant idea of safe, certainty 
and that where they're at is in safe uncertainty. So yeah. physically they're safe. They understand eating disorders. The family is there supporting, but there will be uncertainty and they have to learn how to cope with those little things without using their eating disorder to cope. Um, and so, you know, of course, families can leave everything as it is and that's fine. But changing things back or creating new family scaffoldings and new kind of core family values is also motivating and role modeling and um, what really living life without an eating disorder is like. So it really can be a very positive thing in recovery. Yeah. Yeah, really, really can. Um, and very often, if we're, you know, if, if if we're covering this topic within a workshop, we then naturally go on to look at the five step model for change. And then we'd look at some of the eating sort of behaviours. And of course, that then takes you into the anxiety hierarchy. So with the example of Ashley going running at night, you know, maybe to start with, he would reduce his running by one or two minutes and then gradually, gradually get back kind of control over that behavior. Um, so, yeah. So module eight, do you remember, was the five step coaching with the first person with the eating disorder and then this module follows on from that in the manual um and and then all of the skills that the carers have learned in module eight are so are so useful to give us um a framework of how to how to start helping their loved one to make those changes yeah super okay and finally jenny where can people go to find out more so the worksheets are obviously on the website. Um, I'm going to, I haven't made videos for this module yet, so I'm going to be making some videos for this module. Um, obviously, the, the vignette I mentioned, um, the YouTube, the Succeed DVD one is on my YouTube channel. Um, so I think it's called the Family Birthday Party. Um, so carers can go straight to that as well and have a look at that as an example of how the dad reconnects with Chloe after there's been um, a, a display of aggression and swearing and, you know, not her normal behavior. Mm -hmm. um, so yeah. Super, thank you so much. So there you have it. We hope that this episode is helpful for you. If you have any questions, please email them to info at bodywise.ie, putting new Maudsley Carer Skills podcast in the subject line. If we get any questions, we'll endeavor to answer them in future podcasts. We hope you will join us for our next episode, our 20th episode, where we will talk about moving towards restoring regular eating. Until then, take care.